But we're going to start the book of Micah tonight, and you'll find the book of Micah after the book of Jonah, and before, as we learned earlier, the book of Malachi. So uh, there's 12, 12 minor prophets at the end of the Old Testament, and in that mix of minor prophets, you'll find the book of Micah. So if you can open your Bible to the book of Micah, uh, maybe put a little crease there, a little bookmark, maybe your Bible ribbon, because we're going to spend the next quarter uh, and maybe a little bit more, or the rest of this quarter and a little bit of next, uh, looking at the book of Micah, and we're going to tackle it together. And I hope that you'll find it enriching and helpful, especially coming from where I think most people are, a point of zero almost zero understanding of, of the book of, of Micah. Uh, and that's, that's something I want to talk to you about tonight. Uh, I'm not going to preach a sermon tonight. We won't get deep into the nuances of Micah. Next week, I'll nerd out on you with a little bit of you know maps and stuff on the screen, and, and I'll try to kind of hold back. I've been out of seminary for a while, so I, I, I feel like I've, I've, I've healed from that process. And and I won't, I won't totally geek you out forever, but I do want to show you that this is, this is real history from the age of the Assyrian Empire. I do want to show you some of the, the hills and valleys that are, are pertinent to this story, some of the historical moments. So I got some stuff I want to show you on the screens next week. This week, I want to introduce you to the text of Micah and give you some rationale, some reason, some, some motivation. So uh, the, if this message has a title... We can call it, there's nothing minor about Micah. There's nothing minor about Micah. That's a nerdy seminary joke. Uh, that it's, he's a minor prophet. And what I want to do is I want to I remove some of the, you know, why are we doing this? I want to remove some of the mystery around it. I want to help you understand, get, kind of give you a, a sneak peek, you know, the, the preview to the movie. And, and so that's what's going to happen tonight. I'm also going to do something which is a terrible habit I have one that I, I hold on to tightly, is I'm going to read you the entire book of Micah. Now, it's not that long. It'll take about 20 minutes to read. So I, I'm going to, I like to do that. I did, I've done it with 1 Corinthians. I mean, and that's a lot longer. Uh, the book of Hebrews, that's a lot longer. So this is a short little book. It won't take that long. So I'm going to only talk to you for about 10 minutes, and I'm going to read you the book of Micah, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to be done. And we're probably not going to see the end of the Dodger game. It's still 6-1. Stop looking it up. Okay. It was, that, was a, that was a prophecy and a message against me, not you. Uh, okay, so let me, let me do it this way. Micah, you're open to it. Let me give you five, five I think is, is the right number because there's that many fingers on my hand. Uh, five reasons um, to study the book of Micah. Okay, and I'm going to try to preach louder than Chris Hamilton over there. So five reasons to study the book of Micah. Uh, number one, the Old Testament ought not to be neglected. The Old Testament ought not to be neglected. Uh, Micah, as you know, is in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is, is full of strangeties that uh, deter people from entering into its world. Because it's ancient, because this is 740 BC or so, uh, because this is the decades surrounding the, the time of the Assyrian Empire's uh, invasion of Israel and its capital Samaria, there's just so much distance there between all that's going on in 2020 in Westwood and all that's happening in Micah's neighborhood of, of Morsheth. So, I think that that difficulty is something that accompanies all the Old Testament. And it's really a bias against the Old Testament that, that believers actually have that does them spiritual detriment. 
the Old Testament is the Word of God. And every reference to the Word of God in the Bible, except for maybe one, and that would be in the book of Second Peter, is a reference to the Old Testament Scriptures. So when the Bible talks about the Bible, it's usually talking about the Old Testament. So all the claims that the Bible makes about itself, its inerrancy, its infallibility, its usefulness in vitality and life and, and all the rest are talking specifically about the Old Testament and by association or by relationship, the New Testament. So the Old Testament is no less scripture than the New Testament. It's no less inspired. It's just as relevant. It's just as meaningful. It's just as spiritually life-giving and edifying than the gospel according to John. And it gets a bad rap because of its ancientness. And it's not your fault. It's the fault of in my opinion, higher critical scholars who have tried to dissect the and destroy the Old Testament by saying things like they say about the book of Micah, that it's probably a compilation of all these different ancient sources because it, it mentions things anachronistically. So instead of believing that it actually is a prophetic word, a, a prophecy spoken in advance about things that were to come, they try to kind of patchwork it together and say, well, the first three chapters are probably genuine, you know, to some time of this time period, but some of it's from later and a different compiler, that, that kind of thing. If, if you're interested in that sort of thing, you could enroll at UCLA and take any Bible class and, and you'd hear that kind of talk. Instead, I understand the book of Micah and all of the, the books of the Bible to be inspired, to be without error, to be uh, given to us by God. And the Old Testament is part of scripture. And if you were to not have it in your diet, you would not be a a nutritional Christian. You wouldn't be the full deal. J.C. Ryle says it takes the whole Bible to make a whole Christian. And I think that's exactly right. So I love to teach the Old Testament because it gives me a little bit of an advantage. Uh, you don't know what's coming. You look at it and you think this is kind of weird. Whereas the New Testament, you have familiarity. And so there's some wonderful surprises in store for you whenever we open the Old Testament, especially in a neglected portion like the book of Micah, hidden there in the Minor Prophets only called minor because they're shorter, not because they're insignificant. So number one, you ought to study the Old Testament. Number two, the book of Micah is important because it talks about a time like our time, a time of societal chaos, a time of societal chaos. And although it is an election year and these things roll around every four, in my understanding, and people act like, you know, it, it's once every hundred years, people go so crazy in this moment. But, and, you know, especially Christians, for some reason, think every election is, you know, the most uh, formidable, significant, you know, life-changing uh, moment. When, when JFK got elected, Christians announced, Protestants announced, you know, almost universally that this was the end times because a Catholic was being elected to the presidency and they all were selling their land and trying to figure out how to move to Australia. Um, so that, that happens every four years here. So I'm not so much talking about that. I'm talking about some of the significant things happening both in our society and around the world. Uh, movements about justice, uh, issues about uh, human governance and uh, the treatment of the poor, things that captivate especially young people uh, in, in terms of 
how society works and how society is ordered, issues of justice and injustice. Uh, Micah lived in a time when those same questions were being asked by his contemporaries, and they were questions that God wanted him to address. Things like the treatment of the poor, things like uh, injustice in highest governmental structures, things like uh, greed, uh, things like uh, a lovelessness and, and, a, and a, uh, a neglect of those who were less in society, things like oppression. These are all things that Micah will discuss, important matters that do have to do with a world that was quite chaotic. Uh, this, again, was a time, uh, the, the 8th century BC, when things were changing significantly in the northern kingdom called Israel, its capital Samaria, the, the southern kingdom Judah, its capital Jerusalem. It all used to be Israel. There was a civil war. It split. So this is the time after Solomon, after the days of the civil war. And in these two countries, where they were having significant upheaval. Not only was there a split in, in God's people between the north and the south, but there was an, an impending invasion of a superpower from uh, the east called Assyria. And you can read all about Assyria and Tiglath Pilziar and, and, and all those rulers from uh, Assyrian annals. And we'll bring in a little bit of that, just enough to not bore you. And uh, this, so this is a time of significant societal chaos, significant change, not only geopolitically, but in the, the, the Israelite society, dishonesty, oppression, injustice, maltreatment of the poor, greed, faithlessness in, among God's people, a corrupted kind of worship, all kinds of things that I think have a radical contemporary feel to them. And, and rather than letting the discussions that, that the world is having right now about justice and injustice and about uh, poverty and oppression inform our thinking, I think it'll be very helpful to let God, through his prophet, talk to us about issues of justice, issues of corruption, issues of governance. And these things will be very appropriate, very applicable to your fundamental understanding of God's opinion on this subject before you run off and try to smash it into contemporary society. I think too often it's in reverse. We, we listen to the discussions that happen in our world politically uh, between the right and the left, between progressives and conservatives, between uh, different uh, philosophical uh, positions between different governmental preferences, between different uh, structures, uh, monarchies, democracies, etc. Instead of removing ourselves as best as we can from that and hearing from God about what his basic understanding and preferences for biblical morality. And so we will talk about justice and injustice, but we won't be talking about it in the sense of starting with you know, the, the problems that our country faces in regards to inequalities, but we're going to look at it in this world. And I think it's going to help you think about how you need to think and have God's opinion on these matters. Does that make sense to you? So hopefully that will be both provocative, but surprisingly ancient, surprisingly eternal in our perspectives, instead of something just sort of sloganish and right now. So a time of societal chaos. Uh, number three, 
This is a book about theology. This is a book about theology. In other words, this is a book about God and who God is. Uh, The main theme of the book of Micah is judgment and salvation. And the book follows that course. I'll read it to you in just a moment, but uh, you can see that that it's divided into normally three chunks, and that's a, a technical literary term, chunks. Uh, the, they're divided by one Hebrew word, uh, which means to hear. Uh, it's, it occurs in chapter 1, verse 2. Hear, O peoples, all of you, listen, O earth, and all it contains. And then it occurs again in chapter 3, verse 1. Hear now, heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? And then it occurs, occurs in a final time, marking that third chunk in chapter 6, verse 1. Hear now what the Lord is saying. And so this demarcation, these three pieces, all have within them both judgment and salvation, judgment and hope. And so this is a book where we see God in his character displayed in his works of judgment on his own people in disciplining them and on the surrounding nations in his sovereignty over them and in salvation, both in rescuing his people and a promised salvation to come through the Messiah and for the ends of the earth. That's what this book entails. And so this book teaches us something about our God. In other words, this isn't a a book without Christ in it. This is a book that displays our triune God, that shows you what his character is like. And we come to find out why God is a God of judgment, why God is a God of salvation, that God is a God who deeply cares about how we treat others, who has deep concerns for faithfulness, mercy, justice, and and righteousness, that, that God cares because these things reflect who God is. Now, one author, Chisholm, says it this way, the, the Lord God of Israel stands at the center of Micah's theological message. Micah presents God as the sovereign Lord of the earth who controls the destinies of nations, including his covenant people, Israel. So God is on display here as a judge, God is on display here as a warrior, and God is on display here as a shepherd king. And so a study of the book of Micah will teach us more about our God. Uh, Number four, number four, uh, if it's Old Testament, number two, societal chaos, number three, theology of judgment and salvation. Number four, this book teaches us about eschatology. Eschatology just means things pertaining to the end. And there's Two ways to think about eschatology. There's personal eschatology, which answers the question, what happens to me or to a person, an individual, when they die? And then there's eschatology big picture, which is what happens to everything in the end. Now, Christians have a reputation for being weirdos about the end times. We make movies about it, left behind Kirk Cameron, or when I was a kid in the early Neolithic era, we watched movies called A Thief in the Night. There were these rapture films, and so we would watch them at church, and they featured like uh, guillotines, and it was just, you know, early left behind with, with worse, you know, cinematography, and which was just really saying it's something bad. And... It was so scary to me as a kid. Whenever I would get home after school back then in the 1980s, people didn't uh, like take care of their kids. They just let them kind of wander the, the city and go to school and come home on their own, that kind of thing. So I remember going home, my parents wouldn't be home and I would be positive the rapture happened and I would look in all the rooms and closets and I would cry out to God and then I would hear their car pull up and, and I, would, I would change my repentance. So 
that, that's normally the reputation Christians have for eschatology. Um, I, I want Micah to really inform us uh, about eschatology, about, about how we think about the end of all things, because it presents both messianic prophecy. In other words, 800 years before a baby was born in Bethlehem, this book features a prophecy about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem, as well as talking about his eternality. So it's talking about the humanness of Jesus and the eternality or the deity of Jesus 800 years before his birth. This is an important starting point of eschatology. You see, from the point and perspective of Micah, all of this, including our time, is future. And so when we talk about futuristic uh, premillennialism or futuristic eschatology, we're talking about the coming of this, this fulfillment of the judge and warrior and shepherd king in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But the book of Micah actually looks not only there, but beyond there. At a time of more perfect justice, at a time of, of a kind of kingship that will usher in, be ushered in by God, where God will exercise a direct sovereign judgment over all nations and a purification of his people. Call it the end of all things, call it the day of the Lord, call it the millennium. We'll be able to see some of the things the Bible talks about, not in perfect clarity because it is prophecy, it is future tense, and we can only see these things in part, but we'll be able to get a little more clarity as we think about what is to come. And the thing about biblical eschatology is not that you should obsess about the timing of things. It is not for us to know the day or the hour. But it should be something that prepares you for the world to come, whether that's 10 years from now or the eternity that stands before every believer in Christ in heaven, being ready for the future is something that matters to God and it should matter to us. So what do we do with the book of Micah, the fifth the fifth lesson that we take from it, that's Old Testament, and we need the Old Testament, time of societal chaos, we got societal chaos. It has a rich, rich theology. It teaches us about God. Number four, it gives us eschatology. Number five, I think it provokes us to study the Bible. Number five, it provokes us to study the Bible. I want you to commit to me to work on the book of Micah to read it on your own, to study it. And I'm about to read it to you right now, but I'd like this to be just maybe the first time, if you haven't read it in a long time, that you read it over this quarter. Spend some time in the book of Michael and you'll be a more prepared listener. We'll try to teach you as we teach through the book of Micah, not only what Micah says and what it means for your life, but we'll try to also teach you how to study the Bible. You see, there's a, there's a thing about Bible teaching, about faithful Bible teaching that contains within it a model that shows you how you could come up with this stuff on your own. You didn't have to go to seminary. You didn't have to, you know, have a a vast theological library. You just have to follow basic rules of interpretation. You have to let the text say what the text says. 
Some of you may learn Hebrew someday. Some of you may gain a vast theological library. But all of you will have a responsibility for the rest of your life if you're a, if you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, to study his word and to apply it to your life and in your family and home. And so while we study the book of Micah, you are learning, and I'm trying to model for you Bible study. Okay? All right. So that's what my little speech about the book of Micah. Now, I think it'll take 20 minutes because I've timed this out before, but I'm going to read it to you. And I like that they're singing now because it'll be like a soundtrack for our reading of the book of Micah. They could turn it down a little bit, but okay. So let's read together the book of Micah. I'm reading from the New American Standard non-updated version from 1994 or something. So you, you'll be able to, to hang on to it, Okay. Oh, sorry. Okay, ready? The book of Micah. The word of Yahweh, which came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, O peoples, all of you. Listen, O earth, and all it contains, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, Yahweh is coming forth from his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will be split, like wax before the fire, like water poured down a steep place. All of this is for the rebellion of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? Is it not the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? For I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the open country, planting places for a vineyard. I will pour her stones down into the valley. I will lay bare her foundations. All her idols will be smashed. All her earnings will be burned with fire. All her images I will make desolate. For she collected them from a harlot's earnings, and to the earnings of a harlot they will return. Because of this, I must lament and wail. I must go barefoot and naked. I must make a lament like the jackals and a mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable, for it has come to Judah. It has reached the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. At Beth La Afra, roll yourself in the dust. Go on your way, inhabitants of Shapir, in shameful nakedness. The inhabitants of Zanan does not escape. The lamentation of Beth Ezel, he will take from you its support. For the inhabitant of Maroth becomes weak, waiting for good, because a calamity has come down from Yahweh to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the chariot to the team of horses, O inhabitant of Lashish. She was beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion, because in you were found the rebellious acts of Israel. Therefore, you will give parting gifts on behalf of Moresheth, Goth, and the houses of Sheb will become a deception to the kings of Israel. Moreover, I will bring you the one who takes possession, O inhabitant of Marashah. The glory of Israel will enter Ajulam. Make yourself bald and cut off your hair because of the children of your delight. Extend your baldness like the eagle, for they will go from you into exile. 
Woe to those who scheme iniquity, who work out evil on their beds. When morning comes, they do it. For it is in the power of their hands they covet fields and then seize them, and houses and take them away. They rob a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, behold, I am planning against this family a calamity from which you cannot remove your necks, and you will not walk haughtily, for it will be an evil time. On that day, they will take up against you a taunt and utter a bitter lamentation and say, we are completely destroyed. He exchanges the portion of my people, how he removes it from me to the apostate. He apportions our fields. Therefore, you will have no one stretching a measuring line for you by lot in the assembly of Yahweh. Do not speak out, so they speak out. But if they do not speak out concerning these things, reproaches will not be turned back. It is being said, O house of Jacob, is the spirit of Yahweh impatient? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to the one walking uprightly? Recently, my people have arisen as an enemy. You strip the robe off the garment from unsuspecting passers-by, from those returned from war. The women of my people you evict, each one from her pleasant house. From her children you take my splendor forever. Arise and go, for this is no place of rest because of the uncleanness that brings on destruction, a painful destruction. If a man walks after wind and falsehood had told lies instead i will speak and say to you concerning wine and liquor he would be a spokesman to this people i will surely assemble all of you jacob i will surely gather the remnant of israel i will put them together like sheep in the fold like a flock in the midst of its pasture they will be noisy with men the breaker goes up before them they break out pass through the gate and go out by it so their king goes Goes on before them and the Lord at their head. And I said, Hear now, heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? You who hate good and love evil, who tear off their skin from them and their flesh from their bones and who eat the flesh of my people, strip off their skin from them, break their bones and chop them up as for the pot, as meat in a kettle. They will cry out to Yahweh, but he will not answer them. Instead, he will hide his face from them at that time because they've practiced evil deeds. Thus says Yahweh concerning the prophets who lead my people astray. When they have something to bite with their teeth, they cry peace. But against him puts nothing in their mouths. They declare holy war. Therefore, it will be a night for you without vision and darkness for you without divination. The sun will go down on the prophets and the day will become dark over them. The seers will be ashamed and the diviners will be embarrassed. Indeed, they will all cover their mouths because there is no answer from God. On the other hand, I am filled with power, with the spirit of Yahweh and with justice and courage to make known to Jacob his rebellious act, even to Israel his sin. 
Now hear this, heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and twist everything that is straight, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with violent injustice. Her leaders pronounce judgment for a bribe. Her priests instruct for a price and her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on Yahweh saying, is not Yahweh in our midst? Calamity will not come upon us. Therefore, on account of you, Zion will be plowed as a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins. And the mountain of the temple will become high places of a forest. And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of Yahweh will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and the people will stream to it. And many nations will come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh and to the house of God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. And he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they train for war. And each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree with no one to make them afraid for the mouth of Yahweh of hosts has spoken though all the peoples walk each in the name of his God as for us we will walk in the name of Yahweh our God forever and ever in that day declares Yahweh I will assemble the lame and gather the outcasts even those whom I have afflicted. I will make the lame a remnant and the outcasts a strong nation and Yahweh will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on and forever. As for you, tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it will come. Even the former dominion will come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why do you cry out loudly? Is there no king among you? Or has your counselor perished? The agony has gripped you like a woman in childbirth. Writhe and labor to give birth, daughter of Zion, like a woman in childbirth. For now you will go out of the city, dwell in the field, and go to Babylon. There you will be rescued. There Yahweh will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. And now many nations have been assembled against you who say, let her be polluted and let our eyes gloat over Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of Yahweh, and they do not understand understand his purpose for he has gathered them like sheaves to the threshing floor arise and thresh daughter of Zion for your horn I will make iron and your hoofs I will make bronze that you may pulverize many peoples that you may devote to the to Yahweh their unjust gain and to the wealth of Yahweh of all the earth now muster in yourselves troops daughter of troops They have laid siege against us. With a rod, they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From the one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. 
Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child. And then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of Yahweh, in the majesty of the name of Yahweh his God. And they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. And this one will be our peace. When the Assyrian invades our land, when he tramples our citadels, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight leaders of men. And they will shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod at its entrances. He will deliver us from the Assyrian when he attacks our land and when he tramples our territory. And then the remnant of Yahweh will be among many people like dew from Yahweh, like showers on vegetation, which do not wait for men or delay for the sons of men. And the remnant of Jacob will be among the nations, among many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, which if he passes through, tramples downs and tears, and there is none to rescue, your hand will be lifted up against your adversaries and all your enemies will be cut off. And it will be in that day, declares Yahweh, that I will cut off your horses from among you and destroy your chariots. And I will also cut off your cities of your land and tear down all your fortifications. I'll cut off sorceries from your hand and you will have fortune tellers no more. I will cut off your carved images and your sacred pillars from among you so that you will no longer bow down to the work of your hands. I will root out your Asherim from among you and destroy your cities. And I will execute vengeance in anger and wrath on the nations which have not obeyed. Hear now what Yahweh is saying. Arise, Plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Listen, you mountains, to the indictment of Yahweh and you enduring foundations of the earth because Yahweh has a case against his people. Even with Israel, he will dispute. My people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Answer me. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and ransomed you from the house of slavery. I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. My people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him and from Shittim to Gilgal in order that you might know the righteous acts of Yahweh. With what shall I come to Yahweh and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does Yahweh take delight in thousands of rams, in 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good and what Yahweh requires of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. The voice of Yahweh will call to the city and it's a sound wisdom to fear thy name. Hear, O tribe, who has appointed its time? Is there yet a man in the wicked house along with treasures of wickedness and a short measure that is cursed? Can I justify wicked scales and a bag of deceptive weights? For the rich men of the city are full of violence. Her residents speak lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. 
So also I will make you sick, striking you down, desolating you because of your sins. You will eat, but you will not be satisfied, and your vileness will be in your midst. You will try to remove for safekeeping, but you will not preserve anything. And what you do preserve, I will give to the sword. You will sow, but you will not reap. You will tread the olive, but you will not anoint yourself with oil. And the grapes, but you will not drink wine. The statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab are observed. And in their devices you walk. Therefore, I will give you up for destruction and your inhabitants for derision. And you will bear the reproach of my people. Woe is me. For I am like the fruit pickers and the grape gatherers. There is not a cluster of grapes to eat or a first ripe fig which I crave. The godly person has perished from the land and there is no upright person among men. All of them lie in wait for bloodshed. Each of them hunts the other with a net. Concerning evil, both hands do it well. The prince asks also the judge for a bribe and a great man speaks the desire of his soul. So they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright, like a thorn hedge. The day when you post a watchman, your punishment will come. And then their confusion will occur. Do not trust in a neighbor. Do not have confidence in a friend. From her who lies in your bosom, guard your lips. For son treats father contemptuously. Daughter rises up against her mother. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. But as for me, I will watch expectantly for Yahweh. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, Yahweh is a light for me. I will bear the indignation of Yahweh because I've sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes justice for me. He will bring me out to the light and I will see his righteousness. And then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where is Yahweh your God? My eyes will look on her at that time. She'll be trampled down like mire of the streets. It will be a day for building your walls. On that day will your boundary be extended. It will be a day when they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, from Egypt even to the Euphrates, even from sea to sea and mountain to mountain. And the earth will become desolate because of her inhabitants on account of the fruit of their deeds. Shepherd thy people with thy scepter, the flock of thy possession which dwells by itself in the woodland, in the midst of a fruitful field. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old, as in the days when you came out from the land of Egypt. I will show you miracles. Nations will see and be ashamed of all their might. They will put their hand on their mouth. Their ears will be deaf. They will lick the dust like a serpent, like reptiles of the earth. They will come trembling out of their fortresses. To Yahweh our God, they will come in dread, and they will be afraid before thee. Who is a God like thee who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. 
Yes, thou wilt call, cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou wilt give truth to Jacob and unchanging love to Abraham, which thou didst swear to our forefathers from the days of old. This is the very word of God through his prophet Micah. And I can't wait to unfold this for you guys. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your character in such glorious display. I know that that was a lot of words that we heard there, but we heard things from this this passage that are so relevant to us and needful for our souls. So prepare our hearts in these coming weeks to study this book together and to see your character through it, to long to know a God of both judgment and deliverance, of right justice and of merciful hope. As we see your judgment on your people long ago, and we see these prophecies unfolding throughout history, and then we see glimpses of of indictment and judgment to come, and and then promises of hope and and mercy in, in spite of all of this punishment. Those words ring in our ears, the need for us to live in a way that honors you, that pursues faithfulness and justice and mercy and love, that doesn't show partiality. Because you, God, are a God who we completely rely on your compassion, on that wonderful truth that you will tread our iniquities under your feet and you'll cast all our sins into the depth of the sea. We behold the gospel in that. And the coming of Jesus promised in this book is the the celebration that we have had of the reality of the forgiveness we find at the cross of Christ. So thank you for this word and prepare our hearts to learn from it in weeks ahead. Thank you for our time together tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.